Okay, welcome to the Industrial Marketer Podcast. Um, this is episode five, and uh, I'm your host, Matthew Chanella. And I'm the other host, MJ Peters. How you doing, MJ? I'm doing great. Yeah, happy Friday. We're recording this on a Friday. MJ, I want to actually start this episode by just uh, recounting something that happened to me earlier this week that was really felt good coming out of, and that was a, a podcast that, or not a podcast, excuse me, a webinar that, that I did with... Um, with one of my subject matters. And, uh, you know, webinars have been such a hot topic on LinkedIn, especially lately with uh, COVID-19 and a lot of companies trying to figure out how to engage audiences um, with content. And that makes this a perfect time, uh, in my opinion, to bring on one of my friends from the industrial sector, which is Sophia Nordenstam. Say, say hi, Sophia. Hi, everyone. How's it going? And Sophia um, has done so many webinars. Uh, she actually was spending time before the show counting them up for all the years that she worked um, for um, industrial companies like A3. Um, so, Sophia, I actually wanted um, you to start by just introducing yourself and telling the audience a little bit about you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Matt. And thanks again for having me on this podcast. I was looking forward to this, and this is uh, really fun to be able to do with you guys. Okay. Yes. So, I've done about close, to, I would say a little. I would, I would say about 100 webinars, um, and mainly in the robotics industry. And uh, I've most the past four years of my career has been in the robotics industry. And um, I was at the Association for Advancing Automation a little over three years, where the majority of the webinars that I've done were held. We typically had two webinars a month that I would have together with my team. So lots of fun experience with webinars, for sure. Yeah, I want to ask you, like, how did you kind of fall into doing so many webinars in your in your role? Was it like, was there just a clamor for it? Or did you see it as a great opportunity to engage customers? Like, tell me, tell me a little bit about how you kind of fell into being, I don't want to, to label you, but the webinar lead within, within A3 and, and, and later UR Robots. Absolutely, yeah. So um, actually, what I started at the Associ Association for Advancing Automation in 2016, and the way that that trade association is, is designed, um, back, back then I managed their daughter association known as the Robotic Industries Association. And um, one, of the, it's one of the benefits that the association provides for all of its members, as well as the automation industry as a whole, is a webinar series. And usually there would be two webinars a month that I would have together uh, with, a, with a whole team that I would work with. And we would have speakers, we would have panelists from the industry. And it was, um, I kind of just had to sort of learn. I had never done webinars before that. Um, so that was kind of a new new challenge. But, uh, but so I had to kind of learn through fire in a sense because it was a member benefit. So I had to be able to deliver that member benefit upon starting. And um, I'd never done them before, but I really enjoyed them. And it was very educational for me listening to our panelists, you know, experts, leaders from the automation industry, talk about uh, lots of different fascinating topics. And, and uh, we get a lot of uh, really interesting people coming in and a lot of uh, viewers and, and a lot of attendees really, really enjoy this particular member benefit. So it was a very fun experience. But like I said, I, I had never done them before. But they're not that difficult to do once you understand all the housekeeping tips and tricks and understand the process. Right. Actually, I want to get into that process right now because the way that I met you was when my company reached out to RIA, the Robotics Industries Association, about wanting to do a webinar because we were interested in that content format and I had never, ever, 
ever done one before and I was petrified of it. So tell the listeners um, about your experience when you're doing webinars for these companies. And I'm assuming most of them were unfamiliar to the format. So explain to the listeners kind of how you talk them through that and what that experience was like with so many new people coming to you to do webinars. Yeah, so for a lot of, in my experience, a lot of companies, a lot of panelists that I would invite to, to the webinar, in most cases, the fears and the anxieties and the unknowns that they had was really just, were really more on the technical side. A lot of them didn't really understand necessarily what a webinar really was. They thought maybe it was a, you know, a live, live webcam. In some cases, they are. In my experience, they never were. Um, and so I had to kind of, you know, I would usually have a phone call where I would explain what the process looks like. And then um, also I would have a practice session with, with the whole team, everyone involved, all the panelists, if it was just one panelist, two panelists, the presenter, um, where we'd go through, we do like a full practice session where everyone gets a chance to present their, their portion and also understand the technicalities. And one of the, one of the issues that always, almost always came up was the confusion with logging into the actual phone call because with, with, with most webinar software platforms, especially GoToWebinar, which we used at RA mainly, um, the can link we, to log Sophia, in to the practice. Can you say that again? We use, we use GoToWebinar software at RA mostly. Yeah, we use GoToWebinar or we use, we used GoToWebinar mainly at, at RIA at A3. And um, with that particular software program, like many other ones, uh, the uh, the login, the link to log into the practice session actually is the same link. It's the same link. It's the same dial-in and login information as you have for the live recording. And that was almost always a source of some confusion for, for a lot of panelists, a lot of speakers, and I would always have to explain that. But then there were, you know, other very important um, tips and tricks, housekeeping, you know, just small things like making sure that if you're a speaker on the webinar, making sure that you don't have your cell phone nearby, and if it is nearby, you have it turned off. You don't have it on vibrate. Making sure your iPad is turned off, and making sure your keys aren't nearby or something like that. And and if there's any background noise like pets or if you're outside, what loud winds, things like that would play a huge role. And I would have to kind of go through all of that and remind everyone just be on mute unless you're talking, and unmute when you're going to talk. Make sure there's no background noise. Make sure you're dialed in on a, you know, a good solid phone line. I would usually recommend an actual phone line and not a cell phone line, typically. That always provided best results. So those, and then it's also the co coming down to the software program itself. With GoToWebinar, there's always like a delay. Uh, once you start recording, there's always like a 30 second delay before it actually starts recording the audio. So those, there are things like tips and tricks, like little tips you had to be aware of to really have a successful webinar. And uh, those are some, some general things we'd have to go by. Yeah, I was thinking about the, the housekeeping items. Like I know I've done, I've not done a hundred webinars in my life, but I have done about <laughs> six or seven. And those first couple are absolutely terrifying. There are so, yeah. your mind, it's only, you know, so most webinars are 30 minutes to an hour. Some, some go longer, right? But your mm -hmm. mind moves like a hundred miles an hour and it feels like it lasts for like two to three hours sometimes. Cause you're like, Oh my gosh, all this stuff is being thrown at me at once. And it's even like when you talk about housekeeping, like for marketers who usually are stuck moderating these webinars for their subject yes. experts, 
Um, go over some of that housekeeping items like, like encouraging attendees to ask questions or even dealing with things like making sure that the audio for the listener is correct too because a lot of people sometimes don't know how to set their computer audio properly when they're doing these webinars. I had that happen even on Wednesday. Yeah, so um, so some of the general guidelines is that you want to find um, something I would instruct all of our panelists and speakers to do is, that, is to always find an off an, a quiet office with a phone line, you know, and, and a strong internet connection. And those were some key things. And then, of course, having, you know, no distracting noises in the background, no having making sure all of your tablets, phones are turned off. Um, and then it's those are really some of the main house housekeeping tips and tricks. I would also recommend that panelists keep a glass of water nearby because as they're talking, especially if they're talking for a longer period of time, um, their voice could get dry and a glass of water usually would help. Um, it's it also, I would also recommend to all of our panelists and speakers that whenever they start their part of the, of the, of the presentation that they always thank the audience and introduce themselves who they are. Those are little things that a lot of panelists would have be reminded to do because they wouldn't always remember to do that. And it always made the webinar more, kind of more friendly and more engaging for the audience. Right. Tell me a little about topics that you did for these, for these webinars, because you did it for a lot of different robotics companies and, you know, mm -hmm. for listeners who maybe don't deal with robotics, like, you know, robotics really spans the gamut of industrial applications from like paint to material handling to welding to there's, oh, there's yeah. applications as well that I'm not even thinking of. Um, packaging is another one. Uh, tell me a little bit about some of those topics that you found did really well um, for mm -hmm. the audience, ones that generated a lot of interest and, and ones where the, um, the, the people who did the webinar got a lot of traction out of it. Okay, so something that, that I always like to remind a company um, or an individual before they ever actually start the process of doing a webinar, something that is important to determine is what kind of results you want out of the webinar. And the reason I say that is because, uh, for example, a, a trade association like RA, you know, or another association like it might want just to, you know, have a larger qu quantity of attendees, perhaps. While some companies like uh, in the industry, like certain robotics companies are probably, they're looking for a wide range of attendees, a large amount of attendees, but they're also looking for high quality attendees. So maybe custom, maybe potential customers more specifically. So something you have to determine when you do a webinar is what are you looking for? Do you want just a wide range of attendees? You know, some of them might be interested in purchasing, some might not. You have to determine kind of that. And then based upon that, um, to answer the question of, uh, the, the webinars that performed the best in terms of the amount of attendees in, in the turnout, those topics are typically wider, um, kind of more encompassing topics that are for mostly educational. And in most cases, they strive to answer one or two questions. Uh, and, that, and all that is kind of already in the topic. And that's what draws the audience. And so some good examples that come to mind is I remember um, a few years ago at, at A3, we did a very successful webinar that I, I think we had a thousand attendees or something like that. Um, and that, that topic was the difference between industrial and collaborative robots. That one was so high performing and because it was, it covered a really wide range and it essentially kind of tried to establish the difference between what an industrial robot is, the benefits with it, 
and, and what a collaborative robot is, the benefits with using that, the differences between them, and if there are any perks with either type of robot. And so that, that's a very good example of a, a very high performing topic for a webinar. Then there are other ones, you know, like, and, and again, these are gonna be kind of similar, like Robots 101, you know, something basic like that, that's educational, um, wider topic, always saw a very high turnout of attendees. Um, collaborative robot update. If you're in the collaborative robot space, anything that you know is about just an update, an update on the latest applications, uh, latest updates within a particular industry, collaborative robots, industrial robots. Um, another very good topic in my experience is something like how to implement your new robot, industrial robot or collaborative robot. Um, because a lot of companies are in, some are new to robotics, some are not. And, you know, for the ones who are not quite sure, haven't really used it before or considering it, you know, a webinar that covers the steps on how to implement your first robot is always going to see a high amount of turnout. And then there's other topics that are more specific to certain topics, specifically like uh, what will the modern factory look like and uh, more of an overview of a particular process like welding or um, paint, you know, painting, like you mentioned. So, but generally speaking, if you're looking for a high amount of attendees, a wider educational topic is a, a good way to go. But if you're looking for a more narrow audience that maybe might be more interested in maybe purchasing from you, um, a very specific topic, you know, like covering a particular application, for example, in welding or, or paint or arc welding or so forth. Yes, that would be a good way to go. Yeah, so you brought up a couple of interesting points there. One of them is just the general idea of optimizing your topic for the outcome that you're looking for from the webinar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to me, there's, there's kind of two directions you can go with a webinar. One is it can be a lead generation mechanism. As many people register, even if they don't attend, you now still have them as an opted in contact and you can send them yep. marketing nurturing materials. And then the other one is, is just shooting for maximum engagement because it can be a real lead nurturing play. And I had a conversation with someone recently where they were discussing the results of a webinar and they had a decently high number of leads that were generated, but less than 20% attended. And they said, oh, it doesn't matter how many people attend, which I guess in some cases could be true. So my question for you is what's your take on that and how do you measure the webinar success? Very, very, very good question. Um, so, it, it, you know, it, it really can depend, but in my, in my opinion and in my take on it, doing, doing like a hundred webinars and for different companies, I would say that um, the, it's, you know, the ones who register, all the registrants for the webinar, they're all, they're all valuable. But in my, my take on it is that if you actually register to attend a webinar and you take the time to actually attend it, rather than just wait and then just watch the recording. If you actually take the time out of your schedule to attend the webinar, in my opinion, that's, that speaks more about the intentions of the attendee. So one way, to look at is it, one way to look at those two different groups, attendees versus just registrants, recording registrants, um, is that I, I kind of look at the attendees as more the potential marketing qualified lead group category, you know, and, and the, other, the other group, the recording registrants, um, I kind of look at them as, you know, potential leads that you put into a lead nurturing campaign or something like that. Work on them, you know, unless they, of course, reach out and say, hey, I want to buy your robot or something like that. But, but that's, I haven't quite seen that really happening. So 
that's 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 my take on differentiating the two. Um, again, you know, it depends on the industry you're in. Like it, for robotics companies, that's kind of been the take that I think makes sense um, for the for the goals of the webinar. So just following up on that, you said you tend to treat attendees as marketing qualified leads. Yes. Experience. What kind of follow up do you do with marketing qualified leads? So. Typically, with it depends on your organization, but in my experience, with a marketing qualified lead, you distribute them to the sales team, and then they follow up with the marketing qualified lead. Obviously, it's important that they have all the information, and that kind of ties into the registration field. You know, what kind of how many fields you have, what what they are, that helps a salesperson, of course, um, to be able to get a better understanding of how to reach out, how to approach. Um, but um, but yeah, you typically distribute them to the sales team and they take it from there and hopefully that leads in a favorable direction in terms of sales. Is there ever a situation yeah. where you wouldn't pass attendees to sales? You would wait a little bit longer and, and leave them in a nurturing campaign? Does that depend on the topic at all? Um, it, it really, you know, what I would do is, um, is, Typically, when, when you, after you do a webinar and you have the registration and attendee report and you separate them, what I would typically do is I, I would go through it and kind of scrub both lists and really just clean it up, make sure that only the attendees that are attractive to us, to the sales team, are, are left. A lot of times you'd see competitors, you know, in the, in the, in the, both the attendee and register list. Obviously, you delete them, you know, quickly. Um, but, but they're probably the only group that can really think of outside of students. You know, there's lots of those. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of students sign up for the webinars, and and that's great. It's, it's educational. It's an educational tool, and that's where it's one of the one of the purposes for it. But um, but of course, like you know, competitors, students, uh, retired people, you know, that are probably not looking to buy anything. Those are the groups of people that you kind of scrub out from your attendee list and the registrant list, really. Um, and so. Once that process is done, I found that I don't really have, I mean, I don't want, I don't want to have any attendees left that are not good enough to pass along to the sales team. That's kind of the goal. So to answer your question, I get rid of all those <laughs> from the lists. So yeah. As students, even though, you know, they're definitely not buyers. If you're a company though, those people are usually going into applications engineering or something of that sort. They will eventually become people who may wear building that awareness of your business through these kinds of webinars has you know, a long-term effect on, on your recognition and you establishing your company as an expert in whatever field it is you're seeking. So, you know, even though those people may not be, may not be a sales lead, you know, mm -hmm. say three, four, five down, years down the road, especially if you continue on doing webinars and producing content, they're not going to remember, hey, I remember, you know, uh, Yaskawa did this really good webinar and, you know, definitely was attracted to that way that robot was sort of set up. And maybe, you know, when I have a chance to evaluate one, they're going to be the first one that I look at for sure. I, I wanted to go into the tools of, of the webinar platform a little bit because, mm -hmm. you know, these webinar platforms now, they have a lot of possibilities that you can do with it, like streaming in video, having a live webcam, polling, um, and then there's in-webinar questions as well. Um, I wanted to ask for your thoughts on, on those and, and which ones you found to be really good little tools to use to keep engagement high during the course of a, of a webinar broadcast. Yes, so nowadays there's, there's a lot of really good tools available in webinars. Um, in my four years of conducting webinars, I never really used 
like a live webcam, although they are being used more and more now, especially for specifically educational topics um, in web that are held in webinar form. But um, I, we, I never really use live webcam, but polling, using polling is, is a really great tool in my experience because it just provides you know, some interactivity with, with the audience, they're able to interact, um, they feel more involved, and uh, it, usually, it usually results in a better reception of the webinar, like um, the survey results are even higher and so forth. Um, also, I would say using, using a live webcam is probably a good tool nowadays because it's gonna be more it's going to be more personable. You're going to feel like more like the audience feels like they're part of actually watching a presentation in person rather than just listening to something. And nowadays with the COVID-19 issue, you know, so many, <laughs> there's so many meetings, so many webinars that are held um, with live webcams um, out of necessity. So, but, but, you know, polling is a great tool. Um, any kind of survey that you can send post webinar is always go is always great. Um, something I would do always after the webinar is I would send an email out, and this is something that you can set up automatically in most uh, webinar software programs that go to webinar and on 24 and various others. But once the webinar is done, you can actually set it up as to where an email is sent out to all the registrants and all the attendees, thanking them for either attending or thanking them for registering. And here's a link to the webinar that you have attended or that you missed. And that's also a good tool um, to have. And in, uh, otherwise, in question, what in questions, questions during the webinar, um, that's, always, that's always a good idea as well. Uh, but I would say if, when it comes to some, something like that, you'd want to use the poll. That would be the best tool for that. All right. Yeah, the polling for me is really, really useful tool. Um, it's another, to me, it's also a way to qualify people. So if you're, if you're presenting something <laughs> maybe, with, maybe with a little more of a sales intent and a little less of a brand intent, it's a really good way to, to um, separate out people who are maybe more in a buying mode and then people who are in less of a buying mode. And you can really use polling to help segment that out in webinar among attendees, which as you rightfully said already, are probably higher quality um, leads for you coming out of a coming mm -hmm. out of a broadcast for sure. I want I also, to add, oh, good, good. I also, uh, I also love using customer data as a starting point to create content. So, mm -hmm. oh, I haven't done this a whole lot, but if you had a lot of attendees on a webinar, I think it could be an opportunity to use those polls and then publish that data later, assuming it was not sensitive data as a blog post, you know, 50% of what oh, yeah. surveyed, you know, said this about their welding equipment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way to use the results from the polls for sure. I want to ask you a little bit, Sophie, about, because you've done so many, and I know when we first talked about doing webinars, like what was it, three years ago, we, yeah. we talked about like, what's the right time of day, day of week to do, uh, to do a webinar. And I remember you telling me that you've done webinars like as late as 8 p.m. and as early, yes. as, <laughs> and as, early as like 5 a.m. because you had oh, yes. international companies in like Japan, and you had attendees in Japan and China and then obviously yep. the US and Canada. So tell me a little bit about your experience about time of day and then day of week. What, what's been the best sort of you know, amalgamation of all those different timing factors on, on broadcasting a webinar in your experience? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Just like you said, it, it's, it's been entertaining because I've done, just like you said, I've done webinars as late as 8 p.m., early as 5 a.m. And these, in all, in all, all those cases, it was situations where the webinar presenters were in other parts of the world with different time zones, of course. Um, but I would say, and this is actually something that's been documented by HubSpot as well um, and other marketing giants like it. But basically, in my experience, and this is also confirmed by HubSpot, um, Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays usually perform the best. And um, I would say between 11, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. always performs the best, or 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. But usually 11 to 12 is, is the best time frame because what seems to happen, at least in the North American sector, um, what I've noticed is that a lot of people uh, will take their lunch break to, to watch an educational webinar, right? Either it's mandated by their company that they work for, that happens a lot, or it's something that they're doing from their own education. And so um, it's, it's usually that time frame. And it's I, the sweet spot for the amount of, for the length of a webinar, I would say, is 45 minutes. I usually recommend less than an hour, less than 60 minutes, 45 minutes. Um, because as mentioned before, a lot of people are watching this on their lunch break in North America specifically. And uh, they, they'll have, they, won't, they won't have time to stay on for that full hour. So 45 minutes gives them time to log in, listen, log out. So that's kind of the, that's the ideal time frame: Tuesdays, Wednesday, Thursdays, 12-ish in the afternoon and 45 minute long. So that's definitely my recommendation, yeah. Yeah, going into that 45 minutes, um, and this happened when, when, we, when we did our webinar earlier this week, like I've really tried to focus on that presentation part, keeping that at like that 30 to 40 minute range so you can leave mm -hmm. it in the time. A lot of marketers, and you talked about broad topics, and broad topics really bring out the best of this aspect of a webinar is that Q&A at the end. You oh, get yeah. some great spirited question and answer. And, and MJ, to your point about making content out of your webinar, like all those Q and A's you get at the end, those are all blog post possibilities for you because those are literally the questions that are on people's minds. So for anyone out there listening to this and thinking about doing a webinar, don't think you have to stuff your entire presentation into that 45 minute time frame. leave that space to, for that Q and A. That Q and A is going to actually be some of the best content you end up getting out of your webinar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Absolutely. one of the really cool things that I discovered this week about GoToWebinar is that it has a an auto transcribe feature. It's not excellent, right? It's not as good as if an actual human was listening to the recording and writing down what it said. But it's like I don't know, seventy percent of the way there. And if the webinar mm -hmm. is still fresh in your mind, you can take that transcription and you can just copy, you know, the couple of pages that's relevant to whatever Q&A was answered and that you want to turn into a blog post. And editing that is a lot quicker than if you started from scratch and wrote a blog post. So it's a really good way to create blog content really fast. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's great. That's a very, very good tool for sure. Thousand percent. People listening to this podcast, remember, you should always be repurposing your content uh, in various formats because people are going to consume it differently. So don't let, don't let your webinar just sit there and be a webinar. You can make a ton of great written and even audio content out of it if you want to cut the best of your webinar up into like little one to two minute clips and just, you know, disperse them almost as video. Like there's, there's really good tools out there that allow you to do that. Uh, wanted to jump to you on another question regarding the webinar. 
because this is one of those things like, and when you did this at A3, I know it was part of a membership and some people had to pay to do uh, the webinar at A3. So um, a lot of people making that investment were really interested in getting a lot of personal information for people in order to justify that investment for the follow-up. Which brings me, of course, to the right amount of information to ask for a webinar registration, because I'm sure that's always a bit of a touch and go subject because you know, obviously less is more in terms of registrants, but some people want to get a whole bunch of information so they can do a really appropriate or detailed follow-up. So give me a little bit of your feelings on your experience doing that um, and, and sort of cover how both sides of that spectrum have worked out uh, in your time doing some of these webinars. Absolutely, yeah. So it, it really does, just like you mentioned before, it really does have make a, dif make a difference what kind of, um, what the structure is of the company organization you're working for, like a trade association where, just like you mentioned, that it's part of the member benef benefit um, to be able to watch these webinars for free. So people registering to watch those webinars on the A3 website, um, we, I mean, over at RIA, we kind of got away with having quite a few fields because of that, because the, you know, our member companies or attendees that would register for it, uh, they're not being forced to purchase anything. It, there's no real obligation for anything. And so we had probably about 10 fields registration fields covering a lot more, a lot more detailed information. But, um, but for like in the industry, like for robotics companies who are setting up, who are purchasing, you know, a webinar through RA, for example, like, like, like many other companies have, um, in those scenarios, uh, so, so it, it can be a tricky thing because you want to have enough information uh, for your sales team to use to be able to follow up with, which means you know that you probably want more than just the name, email address, company, and industry. You probably want like city, state, country. You want all that information. Um, a lot of times, in my in my experience, if you want a, a wider amount, larger amount of attendees, you're you're going to have to shrink that down a little bit. So what I usually recommend is uh, you have the full name, field, email address, company name, uh, title. And then you know country or or possibly state that that would be where I would go because if you have much more fields than that you risk the chance that the attendee is just going to lose interest and feel like they're being pressured to provide a lot of information. So that's that's kind of the, that's that's the struggle. That's one of the struggles with webinars in terms of uh, getting the information that you want from the attendees that you can then pass on to the sales team to follow up on. Yeah. The other thing I might add to that is a great rule of thumb is the better your content is, the more information you can ask for in exchange. Because if you yes. see an awesome topic, tons of new data that nobody has ever seen before, or a really awesome guest that people are mm -hmm. looking to hear from, you can ask for three, four, five more fields and me personally, I'll give you that information if I'm really interested in hearing what the topic's all about. That's very true. That's very true. You know, um, at A3, our webinars would be, we would have an entire editorial calendar, you know, going a year in advance with different topics. And so those topics were, were shared on the website and they were available for everyone to see. Um, and as mentioned before, with, with a trade association like that, you can kind of get away with having more fields. Um, you know, so for example, very interesting topics, makes sense to have more fields. Uh, a great speaker, you can have more fields, just like you mentioned. So it's important to really get the right content, get, you know, the, a really interesting couple of speakers, panelists. You can probably get away with more fields at that, at that point. But if it's kind of, um, 
yeah, if, if it's more of a general topic, generally speaking, less fields are better, but ultimately you always, you always need more information, of course, about your attendees. You always do. Right. I wanted to ask you a little bit about promotion because we talked about that before we mm -hmm. started recording. Um, and promotion is always a tough thing because first off, you have to promote the webinar, which means you can never usually have more than, you know, two or three kind of planned out at a time over the course of a month because you need to give that appropriate amount of time. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, best promotional strategies you've used to get webinar registrations um, and why you think they are particularly effective. So this also ties back a little bit to where in the industry you are. So um, at A3, being a trade association, uh, we, would, we would typically send out three or four emails over the course of maybe two months to, to, our, to our database of, of, uh, of members and contacts. Now, if you're in the industry, if you're a robotics company, for example, it's, it's kind of a different situation. You don't want to overwhelm your, your potential customers, your contacts with several emails like that. So generally speaking, kind of combining the, those two different worlds of experiences, I would say no more, no more than three emails over the course of two months, regardless if it's a contact or, or anyone else that you're sending the, the email to promoting the webinar. Um, because potential customers just don't want too many too many emails. Um, um, but in addition to that, online and social media promotion is absolutely key. And nowadays, doing like, like a good sponsored ad on Facebook, LinkedIn are really good ways of doing it. Um, usually, you don't want to run the campaign too far. I usually recommend two, maybe three days per week, and then just ending it and then starting that process again the following week with updated content, maybe a slightly different call to action. And then doing that four weeks or so, four to six weeks perhaps before the live recording. That's, that's what I would recommend for, for that kind of promotion as well. Then if you have, I don't know if you have um, newsletters or, or any kind of other type of communication that's sent out, but a good way to, to also keep promoting your webinar is to have information about the webinar and, the, and that, commu that communication that goes out to all of your contacts as well. And then you can make it, if you have it developed already and, and you know, the link is ready to be registered, you can have it as far back as maybe six weeks, depending on when the newsletter goes out. Yeah, that newsletter is a great tip for, for promoting your webinar. I think a lot of people don't think about promoting webinar events in their newsletter. They do, they focus more so on their written content or, or just let mm -hmm. that webinar invite email just kind of stand on its own without trying to fold it into other sort of marketing communications tactics that they utilize. So yeah, that's a great tip. Um, something that a lot mm -hmm. of people take, take back with them and good ways to promote the webinar without overly saturating uh, a content. Exactly. With, with email just to promote the webinar. And then another mm -hmm. thing, um, a thing I, I even did when I first started doing webinars wrong is when someone registers for your webinar, segment them out of that next email promotion because you don't want to send someone who already registered for your webinar an invitation to that webinar again because that they're going to be like, what the heck? Absolutely. What was that? Absolutely. Yeah. That segmentation is, is so important. Um, fortunately, most, most um, email software programs have that function built in, but you have to make sure it's, it's really working because otherwise you're going to end up annoying a lot of people and yeah you know and especially like maybe even like, some people would, would unregister hopefully they wouldn't but yeah, yeah. definitely <laughs> segmentation is key 
Yeah, if you just something like HubSpot, <laughs> like has that really nice go to webinar integration, like oh, yeah. you have to build that registration list, that didn't register list, and you have to build all of those lists out. And, and if anyone listening here has a, a webinar integration um, into their CRM, like talk to your customer success manager about how to do that properly so you're, you're not double dipping communication because I'm telling you that turns people off. I've I had that happen with one webinar and must have gotten six or seven emails like, hey, I registered for this already. Did you lose it? And I'm like, oh. Oh, boy. Yeah. It, it was embarrassing. <laughs> embarrassing. So, Sophia, oh, I want yeah. to pick your brain on uh, the paid social advertising side of things. There's two ways you can set up the ads. You can do the native lead generation form in Facebook or on LinkedIn, or mm -hmm. you can just promote for website clicks and then have people click through to a landing page on your site and fill out the form there. Do you have experience with both? And how do you decide which one is right for you? So uh, in my experience, I would suggest using both types of ads to cover, to cover both fields, right? Um, I would, but I, I would say that in my experience, I kind of preferred the ad or I, I would put more focus and attention to the ad where it clicks through to the landing page of the webinar. The reason being that the, the journey for, for, the, for the customer, so to speak, is, is a little bit more satisfying because it takes you to a landing page with hopefully more information about the webinar in particular. Uh, maybe there's a, you know, a bigger picture of the speaker, maybe there's additional information that is not present in the ad that will kind of make the journey a little bit more interesting and satisfying for the customer and then they can register for it. And then that's captured on the back end. I, that's like I said before. I think it's important to have both forms of ads. Um, you can you can measure metrics, of course, through social media clicks and so forth, and that's also important um, for engagement purposes in particular. But uh, I would say a combination of both. My personal preference is the ad where you click through to a landing page with more information. Yep, I think it's a yeah. a little bit of a quality versus quantity game. Because in my experience, when you mm -hmm. run native lead gen ads on Facebook or LinkedIn, you get more leads because it's easier for people to just put yes. information right there and not leave the platform. But a lot of the time, A, they didn't spend the time researching the webinar topic, so they're probably less likely to attend. And B, possibly more importantly, you get their personal email address instead of their work email address if they're registering through Facebook or LinkedIn because it'll automatically take the email that's associated with their Facebook or LinkedIn account. Yeah, I to totally right. agree with that. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. that definitely, definitely happens on my end when I've, I've done that. It's also just the experience for the, the audience you have in mind. I know in the industrial sector, you're dealing with a lot of older, less tech savvy customers. And, and sometimes like when they click mm -hmm. that, that, that ad and that thing just like unfolds in front of them, they're like, whoa, that's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> we just X out of that or mindlessly click off of it. <laughs> And there was sometimes a little bit more attuned, even though it's it's a little bit more, it's not an analog process, but it's it's a little bit more of a traditional process that click through to that landing page. Like they're used to that. So mm -hmm. it's a little more, it's a little less yes. off-putting for them. So audience is definitely a big thing to keep in mm -hmm. mind as well um, in regards to which one maybe oh, yeah. for you. Most definitely. Um, mm -hmm. See, I had a couple more. Oh, I wanted to ask you about panelists. So I'm sure you've had yeah. plenty of webinar, webinars in your life where like companies have wanted to put like five people on or, 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 maybe, oh, yes. or, or maybe they just <laughs> have like one person. 
Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what, what do you think is the sweet spot for the number of panelists, first off? And then um, what, what are the kind of the pitfalls of trying to stuff too many panelists into a webinar? <laughs> so in my experience, it really depends on the structure of the webinar. Um, so there are two different kinds. In my experience, there's two different kinds of, of, of structures when you're doing webinars. On the one hand, you have the, the type of webinar where the structure is that you have one dedicated presenter, and then you have a couple panelists one or more um, that are dedicated, dedicated to the Q&A session at the end of the webinar, right? And in that particular structure, usually the first 30 minutes or so are, are um, used up by the presenter discussing the main topic, presenting, and then the, the latter half of the webinar is, is the Q&A session. In that scenario, um, I typically wouldn't suggest more than four panelists in that kind of structure um, because if you have, let's say, five different questions that each of these four panelists are going to answer, some might take more time to answer it, some might take less, but regardless, it will probably use up more than 30 minutes of that, of that latter half. Um, so for that type of structure where we have one presenter and then panelists in a Q&A, I would say not more than four. I would say the sweet spot is probably, probably two, actually, because that makes it a little easier to follow along with who they are and, it, it, and the panelist is usually a little bit more relaxed because they don't feel like there's, you know, you know two other additional panelists that have to have a chance to, to, say, their, to say their part. Um, and the other type of structure of webinar where you don't really have, you don't really have panelists as much as you have a, several speakers. And um, in, this in this particular kind of structure, I would say probably not more than two because in that kind of structure, a good way to divide it up is to have the first 30 minutes dedicated uh, to the first half of the first speaker speaking, and then the other half will be the second speaker presenting their part. And in my experience, you don't want more than two speakers in this type of structure of a webinar. So it kind of depends a little bit on the structure of the webinar, if you want to have speakers or if you want to have a speaker and then panelists that give their feedback on the topic at hand. Yeah, I've seen it happen where, like, I, I think the webinar I even did with you, um, I had like four people and mm -hmm. I just felt like it was too many. Like, I, like, you knew like 10 minutes in when I did that webinar with you, I was like, oh my gosh, I have way too many speakers. Like, this is, this is dragging on. Because you always have different personalities to consider. Like, like your panelists are not going to be the same kind of person. So I had, I had one guy who was like, you could literally tell he was reading notes off of a paper, and I was like, oh was yeah, in my, and my head was just buried in my hands when that was happening. Um, and then I had another guy at the end who was looked like he was just riffing the entire time and hadn't studied for it at all. Like, so, so there was just like the feel of the webinar just kind of went everywhere. Um, and I, I came out of it thinking like, oh, Wes is definitely more when it comes to panelists. So, I mean, from yes. that experience, I've usually kept it to no more than two. Um, and definitely, I mean, I, I would not exceed four people. And I would really, like you said, have hard breaks where you know you're going to be handing that off. And, and then it's also as a marketer, when you're moderating that, you have to coach four different people too, because they all come oh, with yes. problems, right? So mm -hmm. they're like, oh, I don't know how I should do this or do this. And you're like, oh, don't worry about it. Whereas you just coach one person, there's a lot more control in that environment for you uh, in, order to get, in order to get through it. Because all that back end work you're doing, moderating that webinar is a lot, is a lot of stress. And then when you have to worry about also for people who want to get their voice heard, you know, that's, 
that's a whole different dynamic that you're throwing into it. Absolutely. Yeah. So the good points you brought up, which plays in a lot. I mean, I mean, obviously you always have practice sessions in either case of what the structure of the webinar is, but um, even so you, you're, it, the more people you add to the, to the webinar, the more, not more risk you have, but the more there's a chance that you're dealing with very different types of personalities and, and some are very prepared, some are not, some are off book, some are not, some are not, you know, and some of them like to just hear the sound of their own voice. Some are very concise. <laughs> So it's, you know, they're all people, you know, they're all, they're all different, you know, and, and that's what makes it really fun. But you also have to kind of, you know, have a structure that works. So, yeah, <laughs> good points. Definitely trial, trial and error. Oh, uh, yeah. Sophia, if, mm -hmm. um, if, if a marketer came to you and said, Sophia, I've never done a webinar in my life, but I want to get into it because we're in this situation now, my, my, my president's asking me, um, what would you recommend? Give them like give the audience for those who are looking to maybe get a webinar started, give them like two or three tips and say like, this is, this is how I would recommend you get started doing your first webinar. Yep, absolutely. So as I kind of touched on before, some things you have to determine very early on when you, when you're, when you want to launch a webinar is what your goals are. So you want to determine how you measure the results of the webinar, what the goals are, how you measure them. So in other words, are you looking for a large, wide range of attendees? Are you looking for a specific audience that might be smaller, that might be more potentially interested in your product specifically? And are, are you also, are you looking to create engagement, spread education, interest in your brand, or really just trying to hit the group that is ready to purchase from you? So those are some, those are very important things to think about and determine with your team. Figure that out first. And then the second step is to actually determine it, you have to basically create maybe like an editorial calendar. If you're going to do, if it's just one webinar that, and you're going to try that for the first time, just try to think of a topic that is educational because that, that always proves to be more successful for getting attendees interested. Nothing too salesy, nothing too obviously salesy, educational, um, that, you know, where you get the feel it's going to be answering questions. Instructional is always very good. That kind of ties into educational. So like, you know, it, you know, like a topic like how to implement your robot, your collaborative robot, your industrial robot, or introducing a new application for a particular process. Some of the topics like that are going to get more interest. And so educational, instructional topics that help to answer questions. Then, and if it's just the one webinar you're doing to try it out, find that topic and then um, find, figure out who you want to be involved, like who the speakers, do you want one speaker? Do you want two speakers? In my experience, um, when it comes to a webinar like this, uh, I would say one speaker is good. Two speakers can be good too, because um, that can kind of add, you know, some more dimension to the topic. So if you have two speakers and they're both, um, you know, they have good personalities, they're, they're used to presenting, they're passionate about the topic, um, you know, maybe they have kind of a fun personality, you know, a little witty, perhaps. Those are the kind of people you want involved as the speakers in, in the webinar. And then the third step is, is really just determining the platform you want to use. Fortunately, today, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, there are more, even more platforms than before. Um, a lot of platforms are being updated to be used for webinars and, and for meetings even. So you have, um, I would suggest a platform like GoToWebinar. That's a really good platform. It's a little bit more expensive than a few others, but a very good platform. On24 is another, another one. Uh, Click2Meeting, 
live stream, even even Zoom is a, is a good option as well. But the, but those are really the those are the, the steps. First, you have to figure out your goals, then um, figure out a really good topic, and then figure out who you want to speak, who, who's the presenter, and then figure out what platform you need to use. Those those are the three steps in the process. How many times would you recommend rehearsing for your first webinar? Would you do it? Would oh yeah, do it? yeah, yeah very good question. Yeah, so I, you know, in my experience, I've actually had as much as three practice sessions, Matt, seriously. <laughs> uh, typically, um, you know, typically you have at least one and some, it's not too uncommon to have two practice sessions. It really depends on the team. Like in, in cases where I've had like four, four panelists, or if it's with a company that has never done a webinar before, which happened a lot, there, there were a lot of, uh, nervousness about using the software. There were a lot of updates constantly being made to the presentation. In those scenarios, um, you know, it, it's good to have maybe two practice sessions. The first one to kind of make sure that everyone understands how to log in, understands electronics, um, and has, you know, is, is starts to understand when, when they speak, understanding the mute, unmute aspects and all of that. And then the practice session could be more of a Kind of a finalizing the, the whole webinar, finish it, finishing it up a bit before the live recording. So I would say definitely one practice session, two is even better. In some cases, three if necessary. All right. I believe I didn't ask you this earlier, but we were talking about ways of distributing your webinar and we talked about your own email list and we talked about social media. What we didn't talk about is running a webinar with a trade journal or industry association, sometimes they have those webinar sponsorship programs. What's your take on those and how marketers mm -hmm. effectively mix them into their marketing mix? Okay, so, so make sure, I'm just want to sure I understand your question. So um, are, you, are you asking whether or not it's a good idea for companies to sponsor existing webinars with trade associations or something like uh, that? Or, um, or more so I'm thinking either sponsor existing webinars or pay to leverage that trade association's reach to promote their webinar? And how do you make the decision whether to self-promote or mm. to their reach? Well, with trade associations, um, typically they promote, so if, so it's a, if it's a webinar that either they're, they're producing on their own and that you sponsor, or if it's a situation where you have produced your own webinar that's being hosted on their platform, in either scenario, uh, Trade associations typically um, they promote the webinar on their end as well through email, digital marketing, um, and their newsletters typically as well. And you know what? It, what I typically advise is that let them do that, and then you promote it on your end as well to increase the amount of, of, of eyeballs that see it, basically. And on your end, you know, send out a couple emails if you have a news if you have a newsletter or a communi communication like it. Put that in there. Obviously, use it. Obviously, promote it on your own social media. But, but I would say, to be perfectly honest, it, it it really depends on the association. So, for a very large association like A3, uh, with the three daughter associations, um, you know, they did a very good job promoting all of their webinars to their very wide audience. But you know, then you have smaller associations that, ha that they don't have, frankly, as big of an audience. So it really depends on the association that you work with, that you pick. And you have to kind of get an idea of how big their audience is. And if their audience is, is smaller, if it's less than 500 people, for example, then I, I would 
really focus on promoting it on your end and, um, and you know, sharing it on LinkedIn, having your sales team, the speakers involved in the webinar, uh, share it on their own LinkedIn, you know, have their friends share it on their own LinkedIn and, and so forth. Just really spreading it as far as you can. Associations will always promote them, but it really depends on the size of their audience. So you have to be aware of how big or small they are. Yeah, great point. Also depends how experienced they are, right? I mean, one of the reasons oh, yeah. I'm super comfortable rolling with you guys to do that first webinar before I decided if I wanted to do it myself internally in-house, well, I knew mm -hmm. you guys did a lot of them, leveraged them well. And you can always tell, I mean, go to those trade associations, go to their LinkedIn page, go to their Facebook page, go to their website and see, like, mm -hmm. are these guys doing a nice job promoting, the web, promoting their webinars? Um, and then just ask them like, what's your guys experience doing them? You can, they'll, they'll tell you and you'll be able to ascertain if it's a good fit for you. And if it is a good fit for you, you can leverage that trade, trade organization in your own, um, promotion. So like what I did with you guys, when we did our first webinar was I put your guys logo and my, on my creative, I was like, we're yeah. gonna RIA to do this webinar. And I you know, put it on a LinkedIn and, and, and it helped It definitely helped, you know, the legitimacy of our webinar because it, it gave that third party trade association neutrality to it. And that helped drive registrations, which was, you know, really useful for us, especially for a company who had never done a webinar before. And we were looking really to show that we're trying to do this to educate people and less so to just sell you on a product immediately. Right. 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 Yeah, exactly. No. And that's, that's a really good way to do it. If you're a member of an association like RA, for example, you know, having, adding that logo to, to your communications, you know, promoting as much as you can on your end, that's a really good way to go. The associations, like I mentioned before, will always promote it, but you have to be aware of how big their audience is and how successful they are as a mark, as, as in marketing, really. Um, a big association like A3 does a very good job with that, but not every other association does. So that's something to definitely investigate as well. Right. So Sophia, I wanted to uh, give, give you a chance to plug anything that you're doing or, or how people can get in touch with you um, if they want to ask you more about webinars or, um, or just want to get in touch with you with anything regarding getting webinars set up or, or running. Absolutely, yeah. So um, I have a freelance business um, called blondeandbluemedia.com and you're welcome to visit that. Um, I have a lot of copywriting experience and marketing experience that you can, that you can review there. Otherwise, you can just uh, shoot me an email, um, contact me through LinkedIn. I'm at LinkedIn-SophiaNordenstam, or just shoot me an email at Sophia.Nordenstam at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to help with any webinar questions you have. Um, if you're work looking to set up an editorial calendar for webinars, I'd be happy to help with topics, strategy. That would be absolutely fine. Awesome. So MJ, we usually have one question we like to leave our guests before we, um, before we end our, our, web, our webinars. I have webinars on the brain now. Our podcast. <laughs> uh, so why don't you go ahead and fire off? Yeah, Sophia, is there anyone from your industrial marketing network or someone you admire in industrial marketing that you think would be a great guest for our listeners to hear from in the future? Oh boy, yeah, there are... A person, a person that I actually, back when I was at A3, one of the responsibilities in my role there was I actually managed all of our different committees. And we had a membership committee that was focused on membership improvements for members, a marketing committee. And uh, some, some, you know, I've had some great relationships there. Joe Gemma comes to mind. He's, he's a great, he's actually at Calvary Automation right now. 
and um, great person, highly knowledgeable. He also has a very fun personality and is very lively in, in any kind of presentation or any kind of webinar. I've, I've had him on a webinar before. He's a great one. Jean Rabbiton, who is also at Calvary Automation, uh, she was in my marketing and my membership committee as well. Really uh, professional, great background in the automation and industrial industry, and uh, great personality, great speaker as well. And um, she's worked in a lot of different aspects of the industry too. She's been at ATI, she's been at KUKA, Calvary now. Those are two people that you know I'm very, I'm very particularly fond of, and they're also great candidates for any kind of presentation or webinar or podcast for that matter. Yeah. Awesome. Sophia Nordenstam, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Really appreciate it. Um, and and um, for those um, who want to listen to the Industrial Marketer podcast, please subscribe. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, Breaker, CastBox, or Radio Public. You can also find MJ and myself on LinkedIn, and we will link out to our episodes. You can contact us there as well. If you'd like to be a guest on the Industrial Marketer podcast, we are taking any and all DMs and uh, for people who want to appear on the show. And with that, this is um, the Industrial Marketer Podcast. My name is Matt. I'm MJ. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Have a wonderful day.